The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's August 15. I really didn't want to do this today. And I was happy when I tweeted a poll that the smart asses who said no, don't do it, were winning. I was going to use that as cover to not do it. I just didn't feel like doing it today. There really wasn't anything new to talk about. We just did this yesterday. We're going to drive up to Morgantown and have dinner with Junior. First day of class. He probably wants cash. But it was about two hours ago that Al Riveron, the NFL Senior VP of Officiating, tweeted a video that I assume is supposed to clear up confusion about the NFL's new rule against lowering the helmet. It clears up nothing. And there's no narration to it either, which is just bizarre to me. You don't even know which players are engaging in safe technique or unsafe technique. There's a graphic at the beginning that says way to play. And then there's three plays. And then a graphic that says, I want to get this right, foul for use of helmet. And there are three plays after that. And since there's no narration whatsoever, like I said, it's impossible to really know what they're getting at here. There's one play where a Rams safety makes a tackle on a Ravens running back. And the main reason it wasn't a foul is because the running back didn't move to his right the instant before the Rams player lowered his helmet while trying to execute a form tackle. I'm looking at this right now, and you should be looking at this as well as we go through it. You'll understand it, I assume, a little bit better. But it's this first play, and I'm freezing it here right before contact. Here's number 38. I can't make out the name, and I don't have the roster of Rams players in front of me. That's why they were in numbers. 38. 38 puts his helmet down. See, this is why this is such a problematic rule. It is obvious that 38 drops his helmet, lowers his head to initiate contact, and is able to initiate contact without inadvertently hitting the ball carry with his helmet. Otherwise, it's a foul because he lowered his helmet. He just got lucky that he was able to deliver the blow with his shoulder before the running back moved. If the running back was moving laterally at the time, it's going to end up being a foul. All right, the next one looks like Falcons-Jets. And this is another one where 
And this one even looks more like a foul than a close call. This, this, God, God help us with this rule. Receiver makes the catch. Number seven makes the catch at the left sideline. And the defensive back closes in. And there's a little bit of stutter step back and forth. The defensive back drops his helmet instinctively and hits him with it. It should be a foul the way the rule is written. And I can't distinguish that play from other plays that we saw this weekend where a foul was called. See, what he should have done is narrated a video with all of the plays where the foul was called this weekend and explained to everyone. Was it a foul? Was it not a foul? Why it's a foul? Why it's not a foul? Acknowledging that the officials may be a little overly exuberant in throwing the flag in the preseason. Now, that would require admitting that maybe they got some of these wrong, but isn't that better? Isn't any narration better? I mean, this is just guesswork. All right, there's a kickoff. This is the third play. The start of the third quarter. The ball's kicked into the end zone. The Falcons player comes out, and a Jets player is approaching, drops his helmet. I freeze-framed it right at the point. You see the instinctive dropping of the helmet. And because the running back, not the running back, but the ball carrier on the kickoff return didn't move laterally into it, was standing still, the play was able to be completed with a tackle that has shoulder pad hitting midsection, but the helmet was dropped. In plenty of instances, it's going to be unavoidable when you drop your helmet to execute that form tackle. And you're either going to get lucky or you're not going to get lucky. And again, on the second of the third plays that are permissible, the helmet was dropped and helmet contact occurred. And I saw other plays this past weekend where a foul was called. All right, now we're looking at the foul for the use of a helmet. Back to the Rams Ravens game. And oh, what is this one? This one is because some of these are difficult to even figure out exactly who the penalty's on. You have a little guy coming. Okay. Now, this one is obvious because the guy comes in and seems to be lowering the helmet, delivering the blow. That one makes sense. That one, that one I get. I still don't understand why the second one of the three that are permissible wasn't a foul, but the first one of the three that is a foul, okay, that one's fine. Browns Giants. And I'm not sure what happens here. I know that there's some confusion about what, where the penalties are here. See, on that one, I don't know. It looks like 45 goes in hot from the Giants. Helmet first. That makes sense. Now, I think this last one, Saints-Jaguars, it's this block. Is it the block at the beginning of the play? Let me try this again. There's a block as you watch the play begin to unfold. The quarterback fakes the handoff and rolls right. And... I think it's 92 of the Jaguars goes into the blocker, helmet down, and delivers the blow into the chest. Now, the thing is, I mean, I guess I understand that one because as written, yes, it's a foul. And I want to get back to that. See, 
as written, a lot of these things that aren't an example of an intent to use the helmet as a weapon or one of those know-it-when-you-see-it over-the-line dropping the helmet and ramming. There's a lot of things that aren't going to be obvious that are fouls. That one, ugh. A, a guy fending off a block when someone's coming right at him. I don't. I, I just. I don't know what you do differently there. Although he did have a little, a little extra sauce on it when he put his helmet down. I, this is not the way to clear it up. That that's the bottom line. The three examples of that which is fine. That really doesn't clear it up, and it, it highlights my point. There still will be dropping of the helmet. As part of the necessary action to execute a form tackle and to execute a proper block. Whether or not a foul occurs is going to be driven by pure, dumb luck. Does that guy move into the path of the helmet at the last second? Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. I don't know that that should be the standard on which 15 yards of field position is given up. And I don't know what the NFL is thinking by putting out a video that has no narration as an example of what is clearly allowed and what is clearly not allowed. So I don't see this getting any better. And I want to go back to what I said the other day. They need to just rewrite the rule. They need to add the word forcible and they need to include an exception for incidental helmet contact. And that's it. That's all they have to do. And here's hoping they do it. All right, that was the main reason I wanted to do this today. And I want to thank Jalen Ramsey for giving us, I don't know, we got four or five stories out of his comments to GQ Magazine. Just rollicking. Not afraid to do one-word association-type reviews of the various quarterbacks out there. Josh Allen trash. Joe Flacco sucks. I thought it was significant that, number one, he believes the organization doesn't trust Blake Bortles as much as the players do. That the organization basically took the ball out of Bortles' hands when they had an opportunity to win, score more points against the Patriots in the FC Championship game. I mean, 55 seconds left in the first half. It's 14-10 Jaguars. They have the ball on their own 25, and they take two knees. What other quarterback in the NFL that is regarded as a decent quarterback is going to be told with 55 seconds left to concede the half? 55 seconds. And then when it was 20-10 to 10 after the fumble forced by Miles Jack, should have been a touchdown, but the official on the field in real time failed to realize that Jack had ripped the ball out from Deion Lewis. By the time Jack recovered it, he was untouched. He got up, he was gone. It should have been 27-10 at that point with 14 minutes left. Instead, the Jaguars had the ball around the 35, their own 35. Way too conservative. A run and a couple of short passes. So the Jacksonville players have more faith in Bortles than the organization does. I thought that was significant. I also thought it was significant that Jalen Ramsey is a huge fan of Lamar Jackson. Made a fairly compelling case as to why Jackson should have been the second quarterback drafted. 
you know, if all these teams love Baker Mayfield and there were teams that were clamoring to try to get Baker Mayfield, I was told the Jets were going to take him at three. The Dolphins were intrigued. The Patriots were intrigued. Well, then why not take Lamar Jackson? He does some of the same things that Baker Mayfield does. Instead, Lamar Jackson lasted until pick 32, three spots after the Jaguars used their first-round pick. And for all the great questions that were asked, and look, I don't think it takes Barbara Walters or any other high-level interviewer to get a guy who's inclined to spout off to spout off. This guy was inclined to spout off, but I think it was a great interview. But man, that's the spot where you have to say, all right, well, the Jaguars had the 29th pick. He went number 32. Do you think that the Jaguars should have taken Lamar Jackson? And Jalen Ramsey either says, no, we're fine with Blake Bortles. We just need to trust him. Or yes, yes, we take him. And then if he says yes, you say, so what do you do with Blake Bortles? Does does he does he go to the bench? Does he get traded? Is Ran, is is Jackson the guy? And you know there there was a line of questioning there. And and look again, I, I thought it was an excellent interview. Thank you, GQ Magazine, for giving us the content that people are reacting to. I wish more guys were that candid. But I'd love to know what. Ramsey thinks of the Jaguars passing on Jackson and whether Ramsey would rather have Jackson or Bortles be the quarterback of the team. And I have a feeling that by the time he's asked that question, he's not going to be in the mood that he was in on the day in question when he said what he had to say. Not a whole lot else going on. I posted some things on Hard Knocks. That Corey Coleman trade, I hope people get my point there. Even though Hard Knocks, NFL Films, The League, The Browns, surprisingly included in episode one of Hard Knocks, the scene with Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley going at it, and I mean, it wasn't hateful or malicious, but it was surprising that that disagreement made its way into the final version of the show as televised. There's a lot of stuff on Corey Coleman and the decision to trade him and the effort to get value and telling Corey Coleman and getting the green light from ownership to the extent the green light was necessary. There's a lot of stuff that was omitted. And I'd love to know how it went down as the Browns were coming to the realization that they weren't going to get very much for the guy who was the 15th overall pick in the 2016 draft. They got a 2020 seventh round pick. I'd love to know how that went over. I'd love to know what ownership had to say if and when John Dorsey contacted Jimmy Haslam or D. Haslam and said, here's what we're doing with the guy who was our first round pick two years ago and how they reacted. So the broader point to keep in mind When it comes to all or nothing or hard knocks, this is not a true documentary. This is not a reality show. This is what they want us to see because it is produced by the NFL. That's what makes those rare moments of true candor even more impressive because they're giving us real. But maybe the plan is, hey, give them real in episode one 
and then we can hide stuff at will the rest of the series because we will have gotten our credibility for being real. Ultimately, it's not real. Ultimately, it's never going to be as real as it can be when the NFL is producing the final product. And I think most people get that. And I think most people still say, I'd rather have it tainted than not have it at all. But it, but it is tainted. It is tainted. They want real. You put a documentary crew in there with cameras, with license to record everything, and with no input whatsoever from the league or the team as to what ultimately makes it. Then you get real. And the reality is that's never going to happen. Martavis Bryant back at practice today after missing a couple of days due to migraines. There continues to be something ominous as it relates to Martavis Bryant. He hasn't been suspended again yet, but two months ago, Michael Gelkin of the Las Vegas Review-Journal said the Raiders are bracing for it. The only response to that came from the athletic Vic Tafer, who used to be with the Chronicle in San Francisco, said that Bryant hasn't failed a drug test or failed to show up for a drug test. There are other ways you can run afoul of your treatment plan and get yourself in line for another suspension of at least one year. And there's just a weird sense that something along those lines may be at play here. Okay, I'm going to get to your questions here momentarily, but before we do that, I need to make one point very clear. In this day and age, we all know the risks of driving drunk. If you drive drunk, you can get in a crash. If you drive drunk, you can get yourself injured or worse. If you drive drunk, you can get others injured or worse. I want to take a moment and go over some statistics. Even with what we know now about driving drunk, nearly 29 people in the U.S. die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's still one person on average dying in an alcohol-related crash every 50 minutes, even knowing what we know now. The numbers have fallen by a third in the last three decades, but drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives every year. Can you believe that? With everything that we have learned and seen and experienced, there are still 10,000 fatalities related to drunk driving every year. Apart from whether or not it gets you injured or worse, if you get arrested driving drunk, you get significant legal expenses, you can get run out of your job. We know what happens in the NFL. It's an automatic two-game suspension. We've seen executives get suspended for multiple games. So what can you do to prevent it? One, plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Two, designate a sober driver in your group. Or three, call a taxi or use your money to buy a ride home. There are plenty of ways to get that done now. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. That's a message from our friends at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. All right. Let's get to some of your questions before we wrap this thing up today. And before I can do that, I have to find 
the tweet where I ask for the 44 of them. Well, I ain't going to get the 44 of them today, but here we go. PFTPM policy, are you hearing similar slash more uproar from players, coaches, executives, agents, owners, and anybody else connected to the NFL about the helmet rules and the hashtag NFL way to play fiasco? Why are we seemingly the only ones making as big a ruckus about this? There is some consternation. Some. Now, the problem is a lot of the coaches, they're busy. They're trying to figure out how to coach their teams and adapt onto the fly the stuff that's going on. I haven't heard much from people with teams I, who are like in the trenches getting ready to play. I think there is a push higher up to maybe get this thing fixed. The problem is, and I said this yesterday, as a practical matter, how do you get this fixed? Who's the one from the league office that goes in to see the commissioner and says, you know that rule we ran through back in March? Yeah, we probably should fix that. And the commissioner says, what the hell are you talking about? You're the one who wanted the rule. Oh, I know, but, you know, (laughs) sorry. I think we should fix it. There's some people in the media who are making actually pretty good points, even though typically we don't like what they have to say when it's negative to our point of view, but they're actually making some good points. We maybe should do something about it. Maybe we should fix this. Maybe we should admit we were wrong. Good luck with that. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to get the league to do anything. I think the most that we can hope for at this point would be an understanding that the rule is going to be applied with a requirement that the contact be forcible, with an understanding that incidental contact will not be flagged, and that point will be hammered home to the officials week in and week out. And that's the standard they'll try to get everyone to apply, even though that's not what the rule says. Because I think at this point, it would not be good for the league from a PR standpoint to change the rule, even though the best thing for the league from a PR standpoint and a business standpoint and every standpoint would to show the kind of, of willingness to admit a mistake and fix it. And then maybe after the season... They would tweak the rule. I just don't think at this point they're going to do it. I don't know why more people in the media aren't up in arms about it. I was on Brett Musburger's show yesterday, Vegas Stats and Information Network. He agrees with our assessment of the helmet rule and what a mess it could be. I really do feel like a lot of people in the media are torn between their belief that the sport needs to be safer and the possibility that this rule is going to screw things up from a football standpoint. And my point is, and I said this yesterday, it's one thing to take away unnecessary violence from the game. It's another thing to impose a rule that affects the necessary contact that happens on an NFL field. Where a guy who lowers his helmet to make a form tackle or execute a block accidentally makes contact with his opponent and gets flagged, fined, ejected, suspended, etc. Brady says, I know this metric is impossible to measure, but is this the most controversy and question marks we've had approaching an NFL season? I don't remember a time where we've gone into a season with a rule that had never been applied before that has so many earmarks of being a complete and total mess. Now, we got numb to the catch rule and the fact that the NFL kept refusing to fix the catch rule and maybe they finally fixed it. This is the equivalent of the NFL. Uh, You know, I can't come up with an example. I can't. 
This isn't some rule that just happened to develop into something that is a mess. This is a rule they have passed, and we haven't seen it operate yet, but it's clear it's going to be a mess. And I know Stats likes to say, oh, you're overreacting. Wait and see what happens. I don't need to wait and see what happens, especially when the video like the one we saw came out today. It'll be interesting to see what he has to say tomorrow morning on PFT Live if he defends that video. That video is indefensible. To have no narration, no idea... We had to contact the league office to find out exactly which players are the ones who are committing the illegal activity. And also, I, I don't know whether those guys were flagged, and they don't they don't publish the information about preseason fines the way that they do during the regular season. But I, I, there's a there's a lot they got to do before this thing gets trotted out in 22 days. PFTPM Posse has to be at least about something as integral to the NFL as this, making the point in response to Brady's question. I can honestly say that I'll watch much less football and maybe very little at all if this isn't rectified or fixed in the next 22 days. It's like watching cricket to me now because I don't know what I'm even looking for. I don't know about that. And again, I don't think people are not going to watch it, but I think it undermines the integrity of the game. It undermines the integrity of the season if the standards are changing week to week. And also, it undermines the viewing experience if half of the broadcast is spent talking about what is a violation of the helmet rules, what isn't a violation. Because I'm not sure people really understand. And the more they try to explain it, the more confusing it seems to become. PFTPM Posse, what about the potential for injuries to players doing unnatural moves that make them hesitate, think too much? What happens when someone doing the Jeff Heath tackling method takes a knee to the spinal cord slash back of the head, which seems worse than shots to the front of the head? That gets back to something that I noticed last week in the 49ers-Cowboys game. It looked like Jeff Heath deliberately twisted his body at the last second to keep his helmet from striking the legs of 49ers tight end George Kittle. I can't say George Kittle or Greg Kittle. I I, got to get that one nailed down. Kittle. G. Kittle. Anyway, anyway, I, yeah, I. there will be unintended consequences. And I think, you know, the teams that get it will figure out ways to adjust their techniques. And that's part of the challenge. And see, I think that the, the good teams out there, they're going to look at this and say, let's figure this out. Let's crack this code and let's use it to our advantage while everyone else is just kind of throwing their arms up in the air saying, I don't know what to do. PFTPM Posse makes another reference to the Al Riveron disaster clarification video. When should we start finding something else to do with our fall Sundays? Blah, 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 blah. PFTPM Posse's upset. He's getting upset, which is good. More people need to be upset. They're only going to fix it when they realize that people are upset. G. Tupaz, because of the issues in Maryland, my wife is not completely comfortable allowing our three boys to play football. Perhaps the NFL should be more concerned about changing the culture of bullying in lesser levels of football than making rules about helmets that don't make sense. I'm glad you mentioned that. Let me tell you, what happened at the University of Maryland is a disgrace. The problem is, you know, when you sign up for that free education, you submit to this boot camp mentality. And even when it's not football season, even when it's not off-season program, when they're practicing full contact in full pads, and they have their spring game in full pads, full contact, they have these ridiculous conditioning sessions where they, they put these guys through the ringer. And what happened? Kid dies at the University of Maryland. And I still don't 
know what they're going to do there about all of this. And I think other coaching staffs look at it and say, well, but for the grace of God, go we. And even if it's only one kid nationwide over a whatever year period, I don't know how often something like this happens, but that's inexcusable. And separate and apart from the question of whether or not these players should be paid, and I think they should be, there needs to be reasonable limits on what the coaching staffs can do to them, on how hard they can work them, how often they can work them, and the things they can do by way of intensity and physical demands when they're being worked out. I don't think there's much oversight whatsoever. That's one of the knocks on the Alabama program, that the kids who come out of there, the running backs who come out of there are beaten up, banged up. Nick Saban gets upset about that. But you know what? When you're bringing NFL players like Trent Richardson into practice against college kids, kind of undermines the argument that everything's fine. And all those practice limitations to keep NFL players healthy and safe that we talk about and coaches don't like it at the college level, there are no hard and fast rules. I've looked into that before and written about it. So I think they need to be taking a much closer look Regardless of whether you pay college football players a dime, these kids need protection. And the only protection they're going to get is from the legal system. And the antitrust litigation that's out there, I need to get an update on what's going on with that. But that's the thing that potentially blows up this model and maybe sparks a way to, number one, provide fair compensation, and number two, find a way to keep these kids safe. All right, more questions about (laughs) this. This River Run video really pissed a lot of people off. At the real Forno, just got Madden 19 yesterday, and my ultimate team is already a 76. Grab an Xbox and let's play. I've got a PS4, Tyler. Get a PS4 and let's play. Gong Show West, I was too young to grasp the full impact of the Arch Schleister gambling scandal in the 80s, but if something like that were to happen today, what dire consequences would it spell for the league? I don't I don't know that Schleister ever had like a Pete Rose situation where he was betting on his team or anything like that. I need to go back and research it, but you know, the reality is as gambling becomes more prevalent as it becomes legalized in more and more States, the temptation is going to be there. The tentacles are going to get stronger, not weaker between gambling interests and football. And I can't think of another thing that the NFL has had to deal with where it's a collection of headaches and a collection of opportunities all in one. There are great ways to make money and elevate the profile of the sport and also great ways to screw everything up if they don't do it the right way. And I don't know that they've been sufficiently proactive. There's a shock in planning for this day. I think they knew this day was coming. I don't think they did enough advanced planning. And hopefully they've spent the last three months since the Supreme Court ruling in the middle of May getting themselves ready. Terrell 1082, what merit is behind what Jalen Ramsey has said about Matt Ryan? Hasn't he been good under other coordinators as well? I Now, Matt Ryan gets disrespected, I think, fairly frequently because he has kind of a, of a bland personality, although a lot of great quarterbacks do. And people think, well, it's the receivers, and well, it's this, well, it's that. I, I, you know, look, just because Jalen Ramsey said it doesn't make it right. And how often has Jalen Ramsey even faced him? Has he even played him yet? They'd only play them once every four years. I don't know if the Falcons and the Jaguars have gotten together in the two years that Ramsey's been in the NFL. So, look, I like it that Ramsey spoke his mind. 
I, I'm not ready to say everything he said is completely accurate. It's just his perspective. And I don't believe that just because he said it, every defensive back in the NFL believes it. I've seen that suggested. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I don't think Jalen Ramsey is a guy who's going to go along with the herd. Reverend Markworth, which team is best equipped to roll with this helmet rule change and not be affected? Well, the Seahawks have been doing that rugby tackle for a long time. Bill Belichick is the mastermind of figuring out how to take advantage of whatever the rules are. And and he's he's very pragmatic when it comes to something like this. All right, the rules change. What are they? How do we make the rules work for us? What can we do? How do we turn them into an advantage? And you figure it out, and then you teach it. And I, he'd probably be the one who's most, most pissed off if they change the rules at this point, because he's been teaching it a certain way. But I, I just, I always bank on the Patriots coming up with a way to game the system and work it to their advantage. Because in an era of parity and salary cap, what have they done? They put together a Boston Celtics type of run of greatness from the '50s, '60s, or whatever it was when they had all those championships. Matt and Beantown, we got to see John Dorsey and Hugh Jackson handle the Callaway receiver situation on Hard Knocks this week. Knowing the kind of issues the player had coming out of college, why didn't the GM and head coach have a support system for the kid? It took Todd Haley telling Landry to mentor the kid. Hashtag SMDH. Yeah, look, I, 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 I don't, I, well, part of it, the easy answer is it's the Browns. But John Dorsey's been down this road before. When they drafted Tyreek Hill a couple of years ago in Kansas City, he was the GM. He took a risk. This is a guy who'd been in trouble off the field. Now, I guess, you know, when you do the work ahead of time and you just come to the conclusion, oh, this kid's okay, it's just bad luck, he'll be fine, he's maturing, maybe you feel like you don't need to do anything. And I think of some of the Cowboys players over the years that have had babysitters and it hasn't really worked. When Pac-Man Jones had a babysitter with the Cowboys, it didn't really work. Des Bryant had a babysitter, it didn't really work. Now Randy Gregory has a babysitter, let's see if it works. I, I just would love to know if the conversation with had with, was had with Antonio Callaway back in May or in June or in July or at any point before he was cited for marijuana possession. Hey, if anything ever happens, your first call is to us. Period. We need to know what's going on. Period. Those scenes are compelling when it's obvious it's weighing on him that he knows something went down that is eventually going to cause a problem for him. And I still don't believe he didn't know there was marijuana in the car. I don't believe it. The smell is unmistakable. And ultimately, I think that Hugh Jackson said he's being truthful with me because Hugh Jackson needs to believe he's being truthful because the alternative is I'm getting rid of you. So it gives him a way to talk tough. Hey, you better be truthful with me or your ass is out of here. Yeah, they're not getting rid of Antonio Callaway. If they would put Antonio Callaway on waivers, he'd be snatched up by the first team on the pecking order. Oh, wait, that's the Browns. He'd be snatched up by the second team in the pecking order. He's already shown enough that he belongs. And when that second chance comes along, that second chance, you always want the second chance to happen with your team. You don't want the guy to to finally wake up and realize what he needs to do and how he needs to do it when he's playing for another team. At the Real Forno, with Mike Hughes having a phenomenal camp and the Vikings being very deep at corner, do you foresee a scenario where they trade a guy like Trey Waynes or Mackenzie Alexander to grab an offensive lineman or another pass rusher? I think that's possible. I think it would be more offensive lineman than pass rusher. They're happy with their rotation. 
And Zimmer told me when we were up there for training camp that they're hoping to go seven or eight in the rotation. But, you know, I pointed out earlier today when the odds came out for defensive rookie of the year, Mike Hughes at 40 to one. I mean, it's really a crapshoot. Bradley Chubb's the favorite. There's like 28 guys on the list. Hughes is low. And if he returns kicks, that's going to help him. Because the voters aren't going to say, well, it's technically not playing defense when you return kicks. Yeah, well, it's not, but it's still going to help you. It elevates your profile. People notice you. At the real 4-0, what are you looking forward to seeing other than the helmet rule in week two of the preseason? I mean, I want to see guys get through it healthy. That's the number one thing to look for every preseason game, especially with the starters. Are they getting injured? Will there be another season-ending injury? Also, the players who were injured and who are back, how are they looking? Deshaun Watson had a cameo appearance last week. Andrew Luck, is he going to work more this week? Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the field, most likely. And then also the rookies. How do the quarterbacks look? Is Sam Darnold closing in on the starting job? Is Baker Mayfield going to make it harder for the Browns to stand pat? Will Josh Allen be anything other than trash, as Jalen Ramsey says? I still think that 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 fourth and three play, that Benny Hill play, ugh. he may as well have like an image of that tattooed on his back. I, I just, you know, NFL Films doesn't have like the blooper, the blooper shows like it used to. I used to love those. This would be like first five seconds of the 2018 edition, even though it was a preseason moment. At the real Forno, can we get a Harry Potter update? I think that's from that's directed to Matt Casey. I think Casey, I think Casey provided an update because we we gave him a hard time about it earlier today on PFT Live. I just can't remember what he said. I think he's closing in on. It. Let's see, let's see. I'm looking through the text messages here. It's a violation of the. Here it goes. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Does he say? Maybe he doesn't say. Wait, does he say, nah, sorry. I don't know how far along he is. At Stephen Wise 89, do you believe the NFL's video tweet is intended as a response to your criticism? If it is, it's a shitty response. It's better off not responding. At Sergio D, have you ever watched the original and best British version of The Office with Ricky Gervais? I've started to watch it a couple of times. Here's the problem. I can't understand what they're saying. So I have to like really intently watch it so it's not conducive to how I typically watch TV. And that is by having something on that is in the background while I work. That's like shows with subtitles. I can't do it while I'm working because I can't, I can't pay enough attention. And there's enough of that thick British accent that I, I just don't know what they're saying. And then I get lost and it's like, why am I even watching this? So I've never given it more than like an episode, but maybe I should. SARS Monster 15, where would Teddy Bridgewater end up? Will he ever be a starting quarterback again? I Look, the Broncos are making noise about maybe adding someone to be the backup. Maybe they do the trade for Teddy Bridgewater, and he's the backup to Case Keenum. Get two of the three back together again, just like last year. Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater in Minnesota. Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater in Denver. Watch this reality, though. If he's going to be traded... I don't think he's going to want to be traded to a team where he's not the starter. And if that's the case, he's going to resist. Now, if he's not the starter, right, it's easier to say to him, screw it. Hey, you know, you're under contract. You go, you go play for this team. But you need your quarterbacks to be all in because they're doing more than just showing up and, and 
engaging in the bare minimum practice. You need your quarterbacks to be engaged. They need to own that job. They have one foot in the huddle and one foot in the coaching room. But if I'm Teddy Bridgewater and they're trading me to a team where I'm definitely going to be the backup, I would prefer to say, hey, just cut me then. Either carry me on your roster, Jets, or cut me, and then I'll sit at home and wait for somebody to get injured, and I'll go be a starting quarterback then. Or at least carry me on the roster until that injury happens in the regular season and trade me. I don't want to be someone's backup. I don't want to go from being the backup here to the backup somewhere else and get passed around like a hot potato. If I'm changing teams, it's to be the starter. And I, look, I, I, I haven't watched the film closely from the Jets-Falcons game. Sims says that Bridgewater's still limping. I want to go back and watch some of those plays of Bridgewater and see if it, if it looks like, you know, one leg is moving differently than the other. But that was a bad, bad knee injury. And it derailed a promising career at a time when the Vikings thought he was going to punch through to the next level. It just shows you how quickly it can end. And that's all the more reason for every player, whenever he's in a position to get paid, do what you have to do to get paid. At Dustin's Gooding, will Todd Haley be the Browns coach this year or right after this season is over? Really don't see Hugh lasting. Somebody who's kind of connected to what goes on in the league suggested to me that before Halloween, Hugh will be gone and Haley will take over. And then after the season, they'll hire somebody else. They'll hire somebody new. But I, I look, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that Dorsey hired Haley with an eye toward making him the head coach. I just think they needed an offensive coordinator. They weren't going to let Hugh go it alone again. And I think one of the reasons Hugh didn't have an offensive coordinator last year is he didn't want to have a, have a guy on hand who would be the easy person to turn to and say, you're the interim head coach when we fire this guy. It's not going to be Greg Williams after the stain of Bounty Gate. I'm amazed he's still in the league, frankly, after what happened with the suspension back in 2012 and his testimony against some of his players. I thought that was the moment where he crossed a bridge he could never come back from. I'm amazed he's in the league, frankly. But I don't think you can make that guy the head coach of a team after that that scar. And and the, the, the audio. I mean, at a time when the NFL is obsessed with player health and safety for whatever reason, either for altruistic purposes or because they're trying to protect themselves, you can't make a guy who created that sound. You can't make him an NFL head coach. So last year, Hugh wasn't getting fired during the season. This year, Haley's the guy. But I don't think Haley was hired with an eye toward being the coach after this year. Here's a tweet from Macy Florio. You know, my dog can do some impressive things. I did not know, number one, she could actually type. Number two, that she knew how to set up a Twitter account. Number three, that she could actually articulate sentences. Dad, now that the NFL owners and the NFL commissioner are burning the NFL to the ground, does this mean you might lose your job? Will we lose our home? This is a truly scary moment for me. Hashtag PFTPM Posse and all NFL fans. Boy, somebody listened to yesterday's show too. That's good. That's very good. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think the sky is falling yet. And I think before the sky falls, they will fix this. I'm not concerned about the long-term future of the game as it relates to this helmet rule. I'm concerned about the 2018 season and the integrity of the 2018 season. And I feel like they're willing to play Russian roulette with the 2018 season over this rule that eventually is going to be changed because it is not a practical rule. Reverend Markworth, over under 10 games where the outcome is affected by the new helmet rule. I don't know that we're going to have games where there's a bright, obvious connection between a foul. Because any foul in the first half of the first three quarters, 
I don't, I don't, you know, you'd have to go back to the point where the foul happened. You'd have to put the 15 yards back and you'd have to play it out from there. But will there be a game where on the final drive, an extra 15 yards fuels the scoring drive or 15 yards the other way makes it harder to score or the play isn't called a foul when it should be? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's going to be a ton of games that's affected, that it's going to be obvious that it's affected, but it's going to hover over every game. It's going to hover over every potential tackle when that guy drops his helmet instinctively to go in in an effort to execute a form tackle. It's just going to be a matter of dumb luck whether or not his helmet hits the opponent and a foul is called. C.J. Newman, why do stats hate us? I feel like we should have a debate. A posse member versus stats. Let me take that one under advisement. I think stats just is being contrarian. I think that's it. I don't know. I think he resents the afternoon podcast because he's not part of it. So the PFTPM posse is part of it. So the posse gets lumped in with his resentment of the afternoon podcast. Fittis and Kane, is there too much being made of the Peterson way versus the Belichick way, considering the sustained success Belichick has had over the past 20 years? Yes and no, because you're right. Belichick has shown that this works. The question becomes, has his way gone out of style? Are modern players a generation later less inclined to sign on to the zero-fund sir approach to football? And that's what makes Super Bowl 52 the outcome so compelling. The guys who are loose and who have fun and the coach who accepts suggestions from the player and doesn't say it's not your job to suggest a play. They won. So I don't know that Belichick's way is going to continue to be the best way moving forward. All right. I got to wrap this up and go soon. Let me see what else we have on. Oh, CJ Newman noticed no Batman gif. The gif wouldn't load. And I was trying to take a quick nap before I did the, the PFTPM podcast, so I just said, screw it. I left out the Batman gif. Sorry. Sorry. All right. I, uh, I got it. Let me see what else we have. Mike Pereira back on the pod at the real Forno. We, we may need to do that. And I, I've been texting him. I need to call him and talk to him. I don't want to talk this. I want to talk this through a little bit more with Pereira and see what he thinks, especially with this video now. So we're going to, we'll try to get him back on. And we have Terry McCauley. We have access to him. Maybe we need to get him on tomorrow and have him help us understand this helmet rule in light of the things that that show up in that video. Let me see what else we have. Jay Randall, 15. Do NFL coaches on Hard Knocks follow along with the criticism they receive to see about how to get better, or do they think they're already the best, not just you, but years prior to? I think they're too busy to screw around with it. I think they act like they don't care, but I also think they don't care. They, they, they don't have time to care. I think Todd Haley said today when he was asked about it, oh, I didn't realize that was on last night. Now, maybe he's just trying to act like he's too cool for it. I don't know. I bet they care. I bet they care. Wouldn't you watch it? Now, if it was me, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to see it. I, I, I just wouldn't. I just like, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe it. I wouldn't want to know about it. But I probably would want to know how people are reacting. And, and I would want to watch it ahead of time. If I'm Hugh Jackson... I mean, if you're a coach of an NFL team, don't you want to see every frame and hear every word before it goes live? And don't you have better things to dick around with in training camp than worrying about that, taking an hour out of your day to watch that in a meaningful way so you're engaged and you're thinking about it so there isn't something that slips through like that scene from last week with Haley and Hugh? I just I don't know why anyone does it. 
And I know the NFL has a formula that allows them to tap you on the shoulder and say you're doing it. But um, I wouldn't do it. I would not do it. All right, I'm looking through here to see if there's anything else. Most of the stuff has been covered. Terry Gensler, are you honored that Breitbart disagrees with you? Every once in a while, Breitbart takes a shot at me, and I understand their point of view. But they were attacking my statement that players have a right to protest. And the the argument, oh, this is completely wrong. There is no such right codified anywhere. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. The NFL created a policy that says you got to be on the sidelines for the anthem and you should stand. And as applied to Colin Kaepernick two years ago, the NFL interpreted that to mean you're not required to stand. So that creates the right to protest. There it is. They reiterated the right to protest that was created in the policy that they poorly wrote. Then last year, when it all hit the fan with the president, they reiterated the players have the right to protest. So the NFL has given the players the right to protest. And that's why there's a grievance that's filed against Anthem Policy 2.0. See, whoever wrote that Breitbart article said, well, the NFL wouldn't have been able to unilaterally change the policy if there was a right to protest. Well, no, they, they, they did unilaterally change it, and it's under legal attack, which is why they've suspended the application of it. Stepron 57. So PFT ignores its own polls, P-O-L-E-S, and does what it wants. As this is certainly the case today, then why waste everyone's time with a poll? I wasn't going to do it today. Oh, now Ron Step gets set straight by the PFT PM posse. There was breaking news from the Helmet Rule disaster video. I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't until I saw that video. All right, I'm done. And now I'm getting a text from uh, Junior. He wants to have dinner tomorrow instead. What am I going to say? No. No, I'm no, I must come up to Morgantown and infringe upon whatever you have planned that doesn't involve hanging out with your dad. So I guess I'm not going to Morgantown. I'm kind of upset about that. Maybe we'll do another PFTPM tomorrow. I, maybe we line up Terry McCauley. I'm going to get on that. I'm going to get in touch with Matt Casey uh, if he's not otherwise occupied with his Harry Potter book, and uh, we'll try to set that up. Thanks for joining us. PFT Live tomorrow morning. Chris Sims back in studio in Connecticut. ProFootballTalk.com, around the clock, getting you ready for week two of the preseason, the games. And that's the thing I love about the preseason, and I wish they could do this all year long. Some games Thursday, some games Friday, some games Saturday, some games Sunday, some games Monday. Although this week, I don't think there are Sunday games. I think they're Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and there's a game Monday. I like that so much more than, you know, nine games all at once on a Sunday afternoon, which is coming in three weeks and four days. All right, coming tomorrow, another PFT PM, PFT Live, profootballtalk.com. The doors never close, yada, yada. Remember what I said earlier about driving drunk? I mean, that wasn't just a, a paid advertisement, although it was. It's something I feel strongly about, and you should too. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.